<clears throat> excuse me. Um, so I want to begin talking then about the nature of Paul's partnership with the Philippians. And uh, <clears throat> so I just want to ask, who can tell me where was Paul when he wrote this letter to the Philippians? Anybody know? Des? Say it again. He was in prison, right. Do you know where? That's right. He was in prison in Rome. And why was he in prison? For the gospel. For preaching the gospel. That's right. And he's writing to the church in Philippi, which he founded in 51 A.D., And at the time of the writing, it's about 61 A.D. So the church in Philippi is about 10 years old when this letter comes to them. And the church there in Philippi was the first church that Paul established on the continent of Europe. And it was a very dear church to him. And this is evident in the very warm personal elements that are present in the letter, which uh, we'll see some of in a a moment. Um, We read in Acts 16 that not long after the church began in Philippi, Paul and Silas were thrown into prison because of the gospel. And after they were released, then they left for the next city, which was Thessalonica. Now, although it's been ten years since he established the church, he had visited them a couple of times since. The most recent time was about four to five years prior to the writing of this letter. And now from another prison cell, he's, he's addressing them. And from the beginning until this time, uh, they had seen Paul suffer for the gospel. And as he writes this letter from prison, he's concerned, among other things, to alleviate their concern for him. And in this letter, again, there's much evidence of their mutual concern for one another the Philippians for Paul and Paul for the Philippians. Also evident is Paul's great joy in them and in their partnership with him in the gospel. So let's look again at uh, verses 3 to 6. Jolyn, can you read that for us? Okay, so here we see Paul's deep love for the Philippian church and how his heart was truly knit to theirs. And I want to look a little more closely at this and we'll see um, exactly what this partnership in the gospel involves for Paul. And the first thing I want to talk about is it involves thankfulness. And we see that in verse 3. He says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. There was deep gratitude for them in Paul's heart. And notice his thankfulness was present, he says, in every remembrance. Not just sometimes, but in all his remembrance of them. Do you ever think about Christians without this attitude of thankfulness? I think we all do. Let me suggest that perhaps that has more to do with us than with them. Uh, Paul had issues of concern 
with the Philippians. He had corrections he had to make, and he had issues that he needed to address with them. But nevertheless, he thanked God for them in all his remembrance of them. Now, the next point is obvious, but it needs to be stated, and that is remembrance. He remembered them, and he remembered to pray for them. And the phrase, all my remembrance, implies that he remembered them and prayed for them often. Let me suggest that if you remember and pray for your brothers and sisters more, it is more likely that you will be more thankful for them as well. And so the next aspect of Paul's partnership is just that. It is prayerfulness. In verse 4, he says, Always in every prayer of mine for all of you. And again, you hear this this constancy, this faithfulness, this persistence. Always in every prayer, he says. And he says, for all of you. That is not just for the group of people known as the church in Philippi. But Paul's praying specifically for people he knows, people he loves, people he says later that he longs for with the affection of Christ. Love and gratitude will lead to persistent, particular prayer. And also, this partnership is marked by overflowing joy on Paul's part. Again, in verse 4, he says, Making my prayer with joy. Paul has this exuberant joy overflowing whenever he thinks of and prays for the Philippians. It is the expression of his love for them and what they share together. And all of this, the thankfulness, the remembrance, the prayerfulness, the joyfulness, Paul says in verse 5, is because of their partnership in the gospel. And we see that this partnership in the gospel is something that they've shared for some time. Because he says, from the first day until now. So from the day that Paul came into town a decade earlier to preach the gospel and found the church in Philippi, This has been a consistent partnership, an ongoing, faithful fellowship in the gospel that Paul and the Philippians shared together. And notice also in verse 6, he says, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And so here we see then Paul's confidence we see that Paul had confidence in the ongoing work of God for their sanctification and the certainty of their glorification. That work among the Philippians, which began ten years prior through the gospel ministry of Paul, and which has continued in his absence, Paul says God will complete. He began it and he will complete it. And of this Paul is confident and wants them to be confident as well. And as I mentioned before, we also see Paul's deep affection for the Philippians. And we see this in verse 8, where he says, For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. This is a deep, heartfelt desire for them. And For them all, he says. And it is the very affection of Christ that he's talking about, the love of Christ, that is the operative power here. 
This is the love which God has poured out into the hearts of his people in and by his Holy Spirit. And in verse 7, he communicates this love in this way. He says, It is right for me to feel this way about you because I hold you in my heart. So you see this, this deep love and affection that he has. Now, Paul had described the motives for his prayers and the attitude with which he prayed earlier. And now in verses 9 to 11, he continues to outline then the content of his prayers. And uh, Eli, can I ask you to read those verses there? Okay, thank you. Now the substance of Paul's prayer here reflects the confidence that he expressed in verse 6. He said there that I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. And so in verse 10 he prays that they will be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. And that will be the result, furthermore, of learning to approve what is excellent in verse 10, which will come, as it says in verse 9, as their love abounds more and more with knowledge and all discernment. So Paul prays that on the day of Christ they will be pure and blameless, verse 11, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. And the reason he prays this is because he's confident that God will do that very thing, and that he will bring to completion his work at the day of Christ. So this then, in part, is Paul's role in this gospel ministry. His thankful remembrance, his prayerful thankfulness, his joyful prayerfulness, his affectionate joyfulness, and his faithful confidence. All of these elements are, are really working together um, as Paul uh, continues in, in his prayer for them. Now, uh, this, again, he says, is right that he has this because he holds them in his heart. And this is because Paul understands that God has made them to share in the gospel and brought them into union with Christ as members of Christ and in union with one another in the fellowship of the Spirit. And this is what that word translated partnership in verse 5 means here. Again, he says, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. The word there is koinonia. And while it can have different connotations in different contexts, sometimes it's translated fellowship or participation or sharing or here partnership. Tabidi Anyabwile says here, At the heart of all Paul's thanksgiving and joy and confidence is this partnership or fellowship, this spiritual union in the gospel with the saints at Philippi. This partnership is going to work itself out in all kinds of activities in supporting and serving one another for the advancement of the gospel. But underneath it all is this shared life in Christ as the gospel has brought them 
as new creatures into this heavenly fellowship. And as I said, this will work itself out in many ways. This partnership isn't merely Paul preaching and praying and them passively listening. It's a powerful, dynamic, difficult, enduring, joyful, and sacrificial relationship. Again, Tabidi Anjibule says, it's the kind of fellowship in the gospel that redirects and reorients everything that they prize in life. In this partnership, Paul has a vital role to play, and the church in Philippi, and each member in the church in Philippi, has a vital role to play. The partnership is two-way, and no one side can do without the other. Now, we've already looked at Paul's prayer life in regard to the Philippians as part of his role in this partnership. But I want to look at some other aspects of Paul's role. And his role can really be summed up in this, that Paul is to proclaim the gospel and model for them the gospel-centered life. And we'll look at a couple of points to demonstrate this. In uh, chapter 1, verses 12 through 14, um, it says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord, by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So Paul sees his arrest and imprisonment as a means that God has used to advance the gospel. The soldiers guarding him, indeed the the whole imperial guard, have come to know that he is in chains for Christ. And because of his imprisonment, the brothers have been emboldened by his example, of, by his courage, his faithfulness, and his joy in the face of the suffering that he was enduring, they'd been emboldened now to proclaim the word without fear. And then he continues on in verses 15 to 17. <clears throat> we see there his selfless, Christ-centered attitude. He says, Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. So some with false motives seek to make his suffering more difficult for him. But what does he say? He says, what does it matter? Christ is preached, and therefore I will rejoice. He got there for preaching the gospel. In prison, he's preaching the gospel. And while he's in there, others are preaching the gospel where he can't. And to him, that's all that matters, is that Christ is being preached, regardless of what it means for him. So that's, that's the first point there. Now, the next point here is that Paul labors for their progress and joy in the faith. And we see this in verses 
25 to 26. <clears throat> there, as Paul is contemplating the outcome, the possible outcome of his imprisonment, will he live and be released, or will he be put to death? He considers that for himself it would be far better to go and be with the Lord, but knowing the needs of the church and feeling the burden for the church, he says this in verse 25 and 26. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. His continuing in this life will mean fruitful labor for him, he says. It will mean continued service for the good of the church. Specifically, for the Philippians, it will mean progress for them in their faith and in the joy in the faith. And this partnership means their progress and joy in the faith will continue by his service. And this is what his apostolic ministry meant And it's what pastoral ministry, in many ways, is. It is laboring for the progress in the faith and for the joy in the faith of the people of God. Now, the next thing I want to talk about is Paul's example um, as an important role in this gospel partnership. His example in the sacrificial Christian life. And in Philippians 2, 17 and 18... We read this, Even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. So you see, in the face of his suffering, he's joyful because of the good that it produces, and he calls them to imitate that uh, and, and rejoice with him as well. <clears throat> Now, also, Philippians 3.17, he says this, Brothers, join in imitating me, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example that you have in us. And then also in chapter 4, verse 9, What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. So Paul's example as an apostle is to be followed. His part in this partnership is to live in such a way that the Philippians, as they watch him and as they remember him, will know how to follow Jesus better and how to obey his commands more faithfully. Paul's example is one of complete devotion to the Lord, and we see this stated succinctly in Philippians 1.21, where he says, For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. That's that singular focus that he has. And in 3.8-11, we see the same heart really just expanded a bit, where he says, Indeed, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, 
not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and may share in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, that by all means possible I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. His interest was singular. His goal was clear. His heart and his mind were focused. He wanted to know Christ, to grow increasingly in that knowledge, to have his righteousness, to share in his sufferings, to know his resurrection, power, and life. And these are statements and attitudes that really ought to be the heart and the confession of all of God's people. Now let's talk a bit about the church's role in this partnership. And as we look at this, I want to consider first that in verse 7, Paul identifies grace as a vital aspect of what constitutes this fellowship, this partnership in the gospel. And there he says, again, it is right for me to feel this way about you all, Because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me, both in my imprisonment and in my defense, and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. The word partakers here is the verbal form of the word koinonia, or fellowship. And it could be translated here, you have fellowship with me in grace. He is saying that the Philippians' partnership with him in the gospel is a partaking of him, partaking with him of grace. And notice he identifies this grace at work in suffering and affliction, that is, in his imprisonment, as well as in the defense and the confirmation of the gospel, and its proclamation, its establishment, and its preservation and defense. Paul also speaks about the Philippians sharing with him or having fellowship with him in his afflictions in chapter 4, verse 14, where he says, Nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my affliction. And here he's speaking of the efforts that they made to help him with material support and encouragement that uh, they sent through Epaphroditus. But their own sacrifice and concern were part of sharing in his affliction. And in, verse, in chapter 1, verse 29 to 30, we see this fellowship in suffering stated more clearly, where he says, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but should also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. And so what they had seen of Paul from the beginning with his enduring suffering there in Philippi and being imprisoned, and what they now know of him in Rome being imprisoned, Paul is saying that they share the same conflict with him. Paul and the Philippians were engaged in the same conflict. And this he identifies as the suffering which they had been granted to share in with Paul for the sake of Christ in the gospel. The believer's fellowship in Christ's sufferings also involves a fellowship in suffering with one another for the gospel. So this partnership in the gospel 
is a fellowship of grace as well as a fellowship of suffering. <clears throat> now let's look uh, quickly at some of the various ways the church's role in this partnership is worked out. And the first is that they must live in a manner worthy of the gospel. <clears throat> and we see this in chapter 1, verse 27 to 30, where he says, Only, and this is after he had explained his dilemma of whether he was going to be able to come to them, be released, um, or, or not. The bottom line for him was, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. What it means to live worthy of the gospel is really expounded throughout the rest of the letter, and we're going to hit on some of those points as we continue. And much of it has to do with what we saw about following Paul's example. Um, in, but also in chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, it's seen in the call to follow Christ's example of humility and service and sacrifice uh, and all of the implications of that for the Christian life. But here I want to note one thing, and that is that Paul's first description of what it means to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel is that their unity in the gospel is to be evident, that they stand firm in one spirit and that they be of one mind as they strive side by side for the faith of the gospel. In other words, this primary aspect of the role of the church in this partnership in the gospel is that they be unified and form a partnership with one another in advancing the gospel and against those who oppose the gospel. And this is what Paul wants his partners to do and to stand firm in, no matter what happens. He continues in verse 28, saying, And not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you for the sake of Christ, that you should not only believe, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict you saw that I had, and now hear that I still have. <clears throat> and then, toward the end of the letter, in chapter 4, verse 1, after giving them all this instruction on how they are to live, he writes this, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus, in the Lord, my beloved. <clears throat> in this partnership, <clears throat> the church's role is also to pray for Paul. <clears throat> and in chapter 1, verse 19, Paul writes, For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. You remember how Paul prayed for the Philippians, for their growth, their sanctification, and that they would be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. And he prayed this way because he was absolutely certain that God would finish this good work in them. Now here Paul expresses equal confidence 
that the prayers of the Philippians will be effectual and will result in his deliverance. Paul had a deep sense of dependence upon the prayers of the saints, and he had a deep confidence in the power of those prayers. Now, another aspect of the church's role is that the church defends and strives for the gospel. In verse 7, we saw that they were all partakers with Paul of grace, both in his imprisonment and then he says, in, and in his defense and confirmation of the gospel. And then in verse 27, <clears throat> it says that they were to be standing firm and striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. So it's a vital element of the role of the church is defending and striving for the gospel. Additionally, the church is to bow to the lordship of Jesus Christ. In chapter 2, in this great early hymn of Christ's suffering and glory, uh, we see this uh, very clearly. Look at verse uh, 8 and following. He says, of Christ, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, Therefore God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. The church confesses and bows to the Lordship of Christ in this partnership in and is positioned and is primed to act obediently and sacrificially and joyfully to see that the gospel of Christ's lordship is proclaimed and defended everywhere. And so by this to display the beauty of joyful submission to the sovereign king before the world. Now further, the church labors alongside Paul in the work of the ministry. <clears throat> in chapter 2, verse 19, Paul sends Timothy to the church to serve then, but then in verse 25, we see that it was the church that sent Epaphroditus to Paul when he was in prison so that he could meet his essential needs and could assist him and serve him in his imprisonment in Rome. The Philippian church had been extremely generous and faithful in giving to the needs of the saints, and particularly to Paul. This is one of those Macedonian churches that Paul commended to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. He commended them for their overflowing generosity beyond their means and the fact that they earnestly begged for the favor or the grace of taking part or that is, in having fellowship, koinonia, in the relief of the saints. But here in Philippians, we see Paul tells us their concern and generosity to him, not just at this time, but from the very early days of his ministry among them. And in a way, Philippians is somewhat of a... uh, 
type of a missionary thank you letter in this regard, um, written by Paul to those who are faithfully supporting him and have, who have been doing so uh, ever since he had been with them. And we see in chapter 4, verse 10, some of this. He says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have re- revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. So there had been a time where, where they weren't able to, to meet his needs. They had desired to, but now they had opportunity and they sent Epaphroditus to, to bring for Paul uh, that which he needed. And um, we also see a few verses later in verses 14 to 16. where he says this, Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourself know that at the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica you sent me help for my needs once and again. Now, as I mentioned earlier, when Paul first left Philippi, being released from prison, he went to Thessalonica, which was the closest nearby city, and actually the largest city in Macedonia at the time. And it's interesting to note that it appears Paul was only there in Thessalonica for about three weeks. And yet in that brief time, he says, the Philippians sent him help again and again, and continued to support him even after he left Macedonia. So they had been very faithful from the very beginning. In, in his ongoing support. And here he says that they were the only church that entered into partnership with him in this way. And there's that word partnership again, koinonia. Uh, so we see this partnership in the form of financial support, as Paul says, from the first day until now. And what a great example this church is in this regard. They supplied Paul in prayer in material resources, in sending saints to minister to and to assist him. They were faithfully enduring in the face of opposition. They were walking worthy of the gospel. They were unified in its proclamation and steadfast in its defense. They weren't perfect. They needed correction, encouragement, warning, and even rebuke. But the picture we get is that this was a church that was growing and progressing in the faith. A church that was sacrificial and increasing in joy. A church that was a true partner in the gospel with Paul because they understood and shared the central focus and supreme interest that the Apostle reflected in this letter, particularly in chapter 3, verses 7 to 11. This was not only Paul's attitude, but you see it reflected in the Philippians. Where he says, For whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ, and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, 
the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I might attain to the resurrection from the dead. The gospel of Christ's perfect righteousness, credited to sinners, and free and full forgiveness of sins because of his propitiatory sacrifice, is what brings us into one body and makes us participants in the life of Christ in the Spirit, so that we share in this fellowship with the Father and with the Son, and in this partnership in the Gospel with one another. So with these words of encouragement and these examples, we should likewise seek to walk in like manner, in a manner worthy of the Gospel. Are there any questions, any comments? Okay, let's close in prayer. Our Father, we do thank you for the abundance of grace that you have shown us. Lord, as we consider the examples of your people, Father, our thoughts go first to your Son, and we see in him that supreme sacrifice, that tremendous condescension by which he left the glories of heaven to participate in the weakness of humanity, and that in that incarnation he was willing to be and was a servant and that he was willing to lay down his life for sinners such as ourselves. Lord, we thank you for the transforming power of the gospel that not only brings us forgiveness and not only gives us a righteous standing before you because of Christ, but also changes us and makes us more like him. And Father, we thank you for examples such as the Apostle Paul, whose life was devoted tirelessly to the advancement of the gospel. We thank you that there were churches like the Philippians who likewise were willing to sacrifice whatever they could for the sake of the gospel. And we thank you that through the centuries and throughout the world today, there are likewise faithful believers who have been so transformed by the gospel that, that these types of examples could be multiplied over and over and over again. And Lord, we just ask that you help us as a church and help each one of us as your children to seek that type of commitment, that type of single-mindedness, that in all things 
it could be said that we walk in a manner worthy of the gospel and that our partnership in the gospel will be evident to all those around us as, as we seek to serve you by serving one another and those that we come across. And we pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen.